And uh, what an incredible blessing it is to be on mission with God in the nations. If we are on a journey at the moment through the book of Joshua, because we feel like God is saying to us that we need to be taking ground, not holding ground. And the book of Joshua is one of those books that actually explains to us about how this group of people took ground and moved into their inheritance to claim their promise and the, the inheritance that God had for them. So if you can look at Joshua chapter 5 or Joshua chapter 4, end of Joshua chapter 4, you can turn there. And then also while you're turning there, we can look at Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read Exodus chapter 12 first because then what we read in Joshua will make sense. And remember, unlocking the Bible with Raymond and Kath over these last four weeks, we've, people, what guys were taught, we were taught that you don't just read one book in isolation, you've got to read that book in context with the rest of Scripture so that it can make sense. And you don't take one verse and build your life out of it, you take the whole of the Scriptures and you work that out. And so that's why we need to look at Exodus chapter 13 and Exodus chapter 12 first. So, if you're in Exodus, one finger in Joshua chapter 4, and then let's have a look at Exodus chapter 12. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. So this is a beginning of a new beginning. New month, new year. We're changing the calendar because this is going to mark your calendar. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with one another with their nearest neighbor, have, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person, what each person will eat. Nothing is to be wasted. We always eat the whole of the lamb. We never leave a part of the lamb out. You see, Jesus is the lamb. We don't have part of Jesus. We have all of Jesus. And, he's, and you eat it in community. You eat it with family. We eat it with... It's only, Jesus tastes better in community. The lamb tastes better in community. And so he says here, the animals you choose must be one-year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight on the 14th day. So this is the beginning of the year, first month of the, of the, of the new year. And then on the 10th day, you've got to start preparing and finding your lamb. On the 14th day now, you've actually got to slaughter that lamb and, and he's going to tell us what to do with it. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or, or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Thank God for that. We don't have to eat boiled lamb. Listen, a lamb on a spit. I mean, is there anything better? Roasted, crackling skin. Herbs, oh, bread, oh. I want to be an Israelite. <laughs> Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, with your sandals on your feet, and the staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. 
it is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I'll pass over or through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The Lord will be a sign for you. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's the story of the Exodus, and the people of God are getting free from Exodus, and God's had enough now. He's shown them 10 plagues. Now, that, now God is saying, actually, now it's, it's time. And what he's going to do, he's going to kill every firstborn animal or person, male, animal or person, and what's going to happen is I mean, he's going to kill that person. And unless you've got the blood on your doorframe painted with the blood of the lamb that you've eaten, actually that household will lose its firstborn. And so it's a picture. It's called the Passover. It's, a, it's, the, it's the firstborn, the death of the firstborn that gets protected because of the blood of the lamb. And so that's what we see here in the Passover. It's the 10th day. The 14th day is when it all happens. If you turn, the, turn across to verse 43 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigners to eat of it. Any slave you have brought may eat of it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the, none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel, Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. So you can become an Israel by being circumcised. Tough. Ask. The, law, the same law applies to the native born, those that are born in Israel, and to the alien living among you. To partake of the Passover, you have to be circumcised. Circumcision was that thing that was given to God's people to identify them with belonging to God and being part of the promises of God. It was, it was, it was the sign that was given to Abraham that everything that applied to Abraham would apply to you. And the mark of that covenant was circumcision. And so what we see here is I'm saying that you can't take hold of the Passover, you can't participate in the Passover unless you know that you belong to God. Otherwise, the Passover means nothing. If you, want to take, if you want the lamb to cover you, if you want the blood of the lamb to cover you, actually you've got to be circumcised. There's got to be a heart in that to know. And in the New Testament, circumcision is not physical. It's a circumcision of the heart. And so what, what God is saying is actually, if you want the blood of Jesus to be effective for you, if you want the, lamb of, the blood of Jesus to be effective for you, your heart must be shaped towards God, must be ready to receive that. And uh, so all the Israelites in verse 50 did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, and that very day brought the Israelites out of Egypt in their divisions. Verse 13, chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the offspring of every womb among Israelites who belongs to me, with a man or woman. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Abib you are living, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, see this is where Joshua is going. So he says, when you come to that land, brings you out into, God always takes us out of something and into something, never just out of something to, and leaves you hanging. And he says, the Lord, 
he swore to your forefathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. So he's saying, actually, remember, this, is, um, this ceremony that got you out of Egypt, when you go into the land, you're going to observe it again. And you to remember what I did for you when you left Egypt. Verse 11. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised an oath to you and your forefathers, you are to give over to the Lord the firstborn offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of the livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Hectic. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to the Lord with a mighty hand, the Lord, say to the, your son, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem every firstborn of the sons. And it will be like a sign in your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So this is the context. He's saying this, this Passover meal was, a very, was, a, was an important meal because it's what actually saved them from the firstborn dying when, before they came out of Egypt. And he says, what I want you to do is when you move into the land, when you get there, I want you in this month again to celebrate this because actually your life is not connected to an individual story, a personal story. You don't all of a sudden have a new story that you live in as a, as a believer. Actually, we're part of God's story that started millennia ago. And what he's saying is he's saying, actually, when, when, when you get there, I don't want you to forget the story that you're part of. I don't want you to forget the mighty hand that rescued you. And this Passover meal will forever be a sign in your head and on your forehand that actually God did this and you are here because of what God did. You see, he wants them to remember the story. Friends, we are part of a story as believers. We are part of a big story that God is telling and that God is revealing. And actually, God doesn't become part of our story. We become part of his story when we come to believe in Jesus. And our lives intermesh and weave into the story of God. And God uses our lives and our stories and our, and our context to actually bless the nations through us on his behalf because actually it's his story and that's the amazing thing about what happens here as the people move on so let's have a look now at Joshua let's have a look at Joshua chapter 4 verse 17 so Joshua commanded the, the priests Come out of the Jordan, and the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood, as, at flood stage as before. They've crossed over this river, this flooding river. God stops it all the way back to Adam. He dries up the riverbed. They walk across, and as their feet hit dry ground, the whole nation's feet hit dry ground, the river comes back into flood again. Listen to this verse 19. On the 10th day of the first month. So now straight away what you've got to remember, first day of the 10th, Matt, you've got to think back 
to the Exodus. It's God's alarm bells. It's his flag to say what's about to happen has happened before and it's connected. It's connected to what's happened before. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the east, eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had collected, taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just as he had done to the Red Sea. You see, there's this connection between crossing the Jordan and crossing the Red Sea, that God is trying to teach this new generation of people that his power, his power and his love and his presence is what they need to fulfill the promises that God's given them. That what he had done in the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until they had all crossed over. He did this, he dried up the rivers, two rivers, a sea and a river, he dried it up. He did this so that all the peoples of earth might know that the Lord of the Lord, that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You see, the power of God is always missional and transformational. The power of God is always on display so that people that don't know God would know that God's powerful and the true God. But it's also transformational that when we're part of the, in the presence and the power of God, it actually changes our hearts and it says so, so that you will always fear the Lord your God. So that you will always know this God and desire this God and want to walk with this God. So the power of God when it comes, signs, wonders, miracle, any form of the power of God is always missional. It reaches out to speak to others that don't yet know Jesus, but it also changes us that do know Jesus because we actually understand this God is our Father and we have a greater reverence and a greater awe. It should lead us into an encounter with Jesus. Miracles and signs and wonders are not there for their own sake. They are signs and wonders that get people moving towards Jesus whether you're not yet following Jesus or whether you do follow Jesus. Chapter 5. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So they hear about this crossing of the Jordan the enemy now whose land that they're going to take, they're moving in there to repossess, to take hold of the inheritance that God's got for them. Their hearts melt, they become weak, their, mor their morale is gone. They're actually shuddering in their boots. And you would think at this time, this is the time when actually what you do is you now hit straight through and you crush these guys because they're nowhere. They're shaking in their boots and retreating. That's what you would think. You see, but what happens, we're going to see here, is not, that's not the plan of God. This is no ordinary military tactic. God's got a different way to take the land. And he wants his people to learn that the way you would normally respond is not necessarily the way that God wants you to respond. And so we'll look at what he says here in chapter, verse 2, chapter 5. At that time, when the people were waking, uh, shaking in their boots... At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. And when he says again, it doesn't mean that those guys had, let me read, carry on reading so that you'll get the picture. 
Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibbath Haraloth, which basically means hill of foreskins. That's what that word means. Now, this is why we do, why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but the, but the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. So this was a generation that hadn't been circumcised. The Israelites had moved about in the desert for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the nation, the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there in the camp until they were healed. It's an amazing thing. A whole generation hadn't been circumcised. I love, I love what it says there. The fathers didn't do it, so God raised up the sons. You know, friends, if we don't fulfill the commission of God on our lives, God will raise up other people too. God is not limited to us. God, God, will, God wants us, He wants us to partner with Him, but actually there will be another generation that will rise up if we don't. And so God's plan is never thwarted, God's plan is never, is never lost, he's never, he's never without a solution. But actually, friends, we have an opportunity and we have a choice. Are we going to be those that rise up at this stage and take the land, or are we going to leave it to our sons and daughters to do it? I want, to, I want to suggest to you, it's not our sons and daughters' job, it's our job, and we've got to do the, pay the price and work, fight the fight and trust God at this time. Because actually what you do, friends, sets your sons and daughters up. Not for a battle, but for a victory. And that is the plan of God. And so he says, yeah, because the fathers didn't, the sons will. But now the sons haven't been circumcised, and so he circumcises them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, verse 9, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal. To this day, Gilgal, was, that's what it was called. Gilgal means to roll or to roll away. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, there we go. Remember the 10th day, the 14th day, goes back to the Exodus, 14th day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. For 40 years, they had not celebrated a Passover. They'd been in the desert. This is the first, first Passover in 40 years. And to celebrate, the reason why I read chapter 12 of Exodus is if you remember there, it says there, unless you are circumcised, you can't participate in the Passover. So that's why Joshua now has to circumcise Israel and when he says Israel, uh, circumcise them again, it, it doesn't mean that they need to be circumcised twice. It means Israel again needs to come into the promises of God and get their hearts placed before God. It's Israel needs to reposition themselves again before God to participate in this great Passover, which was a great deliverance, but it was more than a deliverance. It was God taking people out of something and into something. And so they, they participate this, uh, in this in this. 
uh, Passover now for the first time in 40 years in the land of promise. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. For 40 years, God had been providing manna. They step into the land. They, pot, they get circumcised. They, get, they, they, they participate in the Passover. And they begin to eat of the first fruits of the land. As they start eating of the land, the manna stops supernaturally. And, it, and, and they begin to eat off the land, which was God's promise. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate of the produce of Canaan. What can we learn from these stories. The first thing is this, I've already said this, is that the power of God is always missional and transformation, not one, transformational, not one or the other. The power of God, friends, and we've got to trust for the more of the power of God, the supernatural and breaking presence power of God in our lives. Yeah, and so amazing to see Jan stepping out in courage and faith and saying, we have had a dream and God wants to heal. But every healing that takes place, every encounter with God that takes place, actually what it does is it speaks to those that don't know Jesus, but it also speaks to us that do know Jesus, and it enables us to encounter him more and more and more. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Israel's initial experience of taking the land will not follow a classical military approach. The people are weak. You think now's the time to hit them. God says no, that's not what's going to happen. What I want you to do is I want you to get circumcised. And then I want you to celebrate Passover. It's not a great military strategy. Why does God do this? If there was an opportunity to rout their enemies, it was now. And God says, no, hang on, just wait. You see, friends, for us to live in the land and the inheritance that God has for us, it's not always about what we think is best. It's actually about what is God saying. And God wants to teach them for you to, you can go in and win this battle now, but there's a whole bunch of other battles in this land that, you're gonna, that you need to fight. And remember, it's me that's doing it, not your strength. And so what he does is he says to them, I want you to back off. You see, if you want to put God first, you've got ways that put God first. And what I want you to do is I want you to worship me knowing that Jericho is coming around the corner and actually the key to the defeat of Jericho was worship. I want, you to, I want you to spend time with me. I want you to stop now. Imagine the euphoria and the excitement of crossing a flooding river that's now opened up and you've crossed over and drive. You think, man, I can do anything. I'm gonna hit this thing. Give me a Canaanite now. Give me a whole Canaanite battalion. I'll take them on on my own. I can do anything. And friends, what happens is when the power of God moves, there's such an excitement and euphoria that can follow that, that we actually begin to, and we forget that it's a circumcised heart and the blood of Jesus that takes us into more. And what he wants to do is he wants to teach them this. He says, actually in your weakness, they had the upper hand, they were strong. No, he says, get circumcised. He says, they have to stay in the camp until they heal. They can't walk. They can't fight. God says, no, 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 this battle is mine. It's not yours. What I want you to do is I want you to circumcise your hearts. Friends, it's the same in our walk with Jesus. 
The battles that we fight and the inheritance that we come, that we have to lay hold of, friends, will require a circumcised heart. It will require God to work in our hearts so that we have hearts of surrender It came through this morning. Not hearts of strength, hearts of surrender. That we would trust Him. And the key to that would be the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Jesus. And you, those who put their faith in the blood of Jesus, will be those that take hold of the promises of God. You see, friends, the circumcision aspect of this was actually about people belonging to uh, the promises of God. We see it in, in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. Therefore, remember you that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God. And so what circumcision did for this generation, the circumcision of hearts, it helped them understand that we are God's possession and that God's promises are over us. And friends, when we come to Jesus and we, we allow the blood of Jesus to take its effect, that takes away the angel of death, the angel of guilt, or the spirit of guilt and all these things, it frees us from all of the, the death that comes with the living of this world without Jesus. It frees us completely of that. But we also need a circumcised heart that allows us to continue to walk with God in a more powerful way and enter the very promises of God, not excluded, but included into the promises of God. It's a very powerful picture. He wants to teach them that they have to wait on God before they conquer this land. This is not about you and your strength. It's about me and my plans. You see, we are in his plans, in his story. He's not in our story. A little bit further down the road in this chapter, he meets the commander of the angel armies with his sword drawn. Sword that deliberately says sword drawn because this is, a, this is the angel armies that are at battle, at war. And he walks into him. Why, friends? Because God's already there. Because it's God's story. It's God's battle. Joshua didn't win the battle of Jericho. God won the battle of Jericho. And we've got to learn that the angel of the Lord, armies of God, are ahead of us and he's with us with his sword drawn. And when we walk into the plan of God, when we understand the story of God and we hear the voice of God and we walk into his promises, friends, God's already there making the plan, making the way and fighting the battle for us. It's an incredible, incredible faith-building realization to have. Number three, you can rush off into battle, but preparation is key. You can rush off into battle, but preparation is key. You see, the first step towards victory is to confess that you're second in command. We're surrendered to God. The first step towards victory and walking into the promises of God is to know this, is that we are second in command. God is first, we're second. And you start to see this picture starting to get painted here, that victory in the public place 
comes from worship in the private place. So there was going to be this great victory of routing this, of, of Jericho and all these cities as they moved forward. But God wanted them to know that that victory was because of the worship and the prayer and the consecrating and the setting yourself apart and the circumcising and the blood of the Lamb. That's why you got there. It's not complicated. It's actually a very simple thing. And friends, we've got to keep reminding ourselves. We've got to keep reminding ourselves of that fact. The victory is his, not ours. The victory is his and not ours. It's amazing on the, on the other side of the, the, the river of Jordan, it says, he says to them, I want you to consecrate yourself. I want you to set yourself apart. Then they go into the river, across the river. Now he says, I want you to circumcise your hearts and I want you to partake in the Passover. I want you to get your heart ready. I want you to surrender your life. I want you to cut away all that's not of me and so that only what of me is available. And I want you to participate in the, in the Passover, the blood of the Lamb. And then after that again in chapter 7, he says, and consecrate yourself. You see, consecrating ourselves and setting apart ourselves apart from God is something that we do all the time. You've got to constantly be setting yourself aside for God, being in God's presence, giving God your presence. That is something that is every day. But the circumcision act in the Old Testament was a once-off act. You couldn't do it over and over again. Once you were part of the people of God, you were part of the people of God. And the blood of the Lamb was the blood of the Lamb. And once it was applied, you are saved. And it applies exactly the same to us now, friends. We, we need to circumcise our hearts by the Spirit of God, let the blood of the Lamb take full effect, and keep consecrating ourselves, keep setting ourselves apart to God so that we could see the, the victory come that God is planning for us. There's an inheritance that is for us, that God has set up for us, that we are to walk into. The fourth thing was this. Coming out, I love what it says in chapter 5, verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9 says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Remember now, this is 40 years later, and it's in the land that he says, now I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. So Egypt is where they came out of, they are rescued, they're now in the promised land. And it's in that Passover, it's in that circumcision moment that he says, I've rolled away your past. It's a very powerful lesson in that. And it's simply this, friends is that, when, that what we come out of is not as important as what we're going into. And when we get people to tell testimonies, most of the time they tell, we tell the stories of how bad we were in Egypt and how horrible it was and what a dark place it was. But actually I believe the stories that God wants to hear are the stories of what God, God did yesterday in the land of promise. Because you see, what we come out of is not as important of the, as, as what we're going into. And coming out of was never meant to be into no man's land. It was meant to be into inheritance and promise. And if you're stuck in no man's land here this morning, if you're, not, if you're battling to surrender, if you, you're kind of in this, no, friends, I want you to get before God and say, God, I'm not meant to be in neutral. I'm meant to be going forward. I'm meant to be moving into what you have for me. And I want more of what you have for me. 
And I want to encourage you this morning, as we read this, this, this idea of being circumcised and allowing the blood of Jesus, the circumcision of the heart, and the blood of Jesus to be upon us and to be washing us clean, that that is not just something for our past. The Passover was pointing to a future. And that future is what God has in mind today. Dudley Daniel always used to say this, what you get saved out of, or what you get saved into, in terms of the context of the church, the environment, what you get saved into is more important than what you get, get saved out of. And it's absolutely true. Because what happens is we live, in the, we live in the past instead of living in the future of what God has for us by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb doesn't just deal with our past. It sets us up for a future. And lastly, we see that the manna stopped and they ate of the land. The kind of provision changed. The kind of provision changed. Manna was amazing. Manna was provided by God. But that's not the provision that comes in the land. Manna was one-dimensional, and you could, you could boil the manna, you could roast the manna, you could bake the manna, you could bra the manna, you could, but it was still manna. What God has for us, friends, is more than just manna. As amazing and as powerful manna was in this stage, what God has for us in this new season, friends, is, an, is, a, is a delicious feast, an array of foods that come from the land. And I believe what happens is we start to live with manna mentalities rather than a provision in the land, milk and honey mentality. In manna, there was just enough for that day. In the milk and land of milk and honey, there's more than enough. Friends, and God is at this stage in our lives saying to us, actually, I want you, Glenridge Church, to step into more of what I have for you. Step into more of what I have for you. There is so much more. The blood of the Jesus, circumcise your hearts, consecrate your lives so that actually I can take you into more. And the victory is mine, not yours. Don't work in your own strength. Don't drum this up. Don't beat this up. Don't white, white knuckle this. Let's get before God in the presence of God and let the angel of the Lord do his work. And all we do is we do the mopping up operations after. It's part of what God has for us. My question is this. Where are you this morning? Number one, the blood of the Lamb. Have you applied the blood of the Lamb to your life? If you don't know Jesus, friends, it's the blood of Jesus that sets us free from sin, sets us free from our guilt. There's nothing that you've done that the blood of Jesus is not more powerful than. But it's not just the blood of, the Jesus, of, of Jesus, it's actually also a circumcised heart by the Spirit of God. When we put our faith in the blood of the Jesus, He comes and enables us to circumcise our hearts so that we can live surrendered lives. He cuts away all the excesses. He cuts away all the, all the stuff that shouldn't be part of us and allows us to live fruitful lives. Where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? Because actually what God has for you tomorrow is more than what He had for you yesterday. And, we, and that's what maturity is. It's growing into more of what He has for us. It's growing into understanding more of who he is, understanding about more who, who we are, and then stepping into what he has for us. And friends, most of the time, in fact, all of the time, what he has for us has to not just have to do with us, it has to do with him. And it has to do with others, and it has to do with cities, and it has to do with nations, and it has to do with other places.
And so what God has for us, friends, is an ability to step into what He has for us in power, with His presence, with His backing, knowing that we are His and that His promises are over us. And I think there couldn't be a better way to end this off than for us to have some communion together. Just like He said to the Israelites, He says, I want you to remember this. When your kids ask you, why do you do this? I want you to remember, this is what God did for me. And this is what God has for me. Never one or the other, this is what God did for me and this is what God has for me. And you know what, friends? Jesus, in the New Testament, gives us the baptism in water, which is a public confession of what's already happened in your heart, that you have died, you've gone under the waters of baptism into death. And have been raised to life with resurrection power and life. And that's a once-off thing. You don't die again and again and again. You die and then you die. And you're raised to life. And if you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you to get baptized. But more than that, friends, he gives us this thing called the Lord's Supper, the, the, the Lord's Meal, the communion table. And what this is, it's, it's the, the blood, rep, the, 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 the wine or the fruit juice in our case here represents the blood of Jesus. It's the same as the Passover blood. Takes away the reproach of sin. Takes away the, the sting. It takes away the power of sin, the penalty of sin. And then there's the body, the, blood of Je- the body of Jesus, the bread that we break. And in these two things, the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, we find wholeness in God. In the brokenness of the body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus, we find wholeness in God. And what God says to us when we take these times, I want you to remember. I want you to remember. This, let this moment, every time you eat a meal, he says actually, every time you eat this meal, you are to remember what I did for you. Where I took you out of. You were in Egypt and now you're no longer in Egypt. You were in slavery, you're no longer in slavery. You are now a son or a daughter of God and you have the promises of God weighing in behind you. I want you to remember that. But not only do I want you to remember that, I want you to anticipate a great future in me. And so when we, when we participate in the communion table, actually what we're saying is, God, thank you for what you did for taking me out of my sin, taking me out of my mire, taking me out of darkness, taking me out of corruption, taking me out of this dark place. But Father, I thank you even more for taking me into a great place. I thank you for the inheritance that you have for me. And I thank you that I have kids that will walk into that inheritance. And I thank you, Jesus, that actually what you have for me is so much more than what I have right now. How I understand you right now is, is, is growing and tomorrow I'll, and a year's time I'll know you better because what you have for me is more than what I have. And what you have for me in the future is more, more than what I had in the past. And Father, actually, I want to appropriate that now. I want to participate in that now and say, Jesus, will you make that real for me? Would you be real? Would this blood be real for me now? Would this body be real for me now as, you, as, you, as it changes my heart and sets me up for a future? Deals with the reproach of Egypt, but sets me up for a future in God. It's an amazing, amazing thing, friends. So can I invite you as the band comes up, to, to go, and, go and participate, to go and get a hold of that meal. 
and enjoy what God wants to do with you. Friends, and take your time. Don't rush. It's always good to do it with others. So like the, am, the lamb was, was together in a family. It's always good to do it with others. And let God, let God minister to you this morning. God is speaking this morning about surrender. God is speaking this morning about the wonder of knowing Jesus, the beautiful name of Jesus. And let the beautiful name of Jesus and the wonder of knowing Him and being part of the promises of God really put something deep into our hearts as we have communion together in His mighty name. Can we do that? Can I invite you to do that? There are tables all along the side and on the front. This on the sides there and in the front over here. Go and enjoy and let God minister to you.